To bra or not to bra, exploring a journey of life's unpredictable twists and turns, how to claim your personal power from within and lead a fun, fulfilled, soul-driven life, one epic, hilarious, insightful coffee chat at a time. Let's get real, let's get raw. This is your host, M. on bra or not to bra. Hey everyone, welcome to this special episode with Melanie Weller. I am so excited to dive right in. If this is your first time tuning in, To Bra or Not To Bra is a podcast about all things personal growth, health and mental wellness, spirituality, and so much more. My name's Emily, I'm your host, and I am a certified health and mental wellness coach with a passion for helping women step into their most powerful, confident, badassiest versions of themselves. And in today's episode, we're sitting down with Melanie Weller, a medical visionary with a paradigm-shifting process to access genius, health, and flow in your body and your business, using the vagus nerve as a portal to health, growth, and success. I know that was a mouthful. That's why we got her on the pod. She is a public speaker and an author with an upcoming book that goes even deeper into her paradigm-shifting process for problem solving. She is a badass change maker, and she's here with us today to give us a little sneak peek into the world of the vagus nerve. We talk all about what the heck the vagus nerve is, how it influences us, how it acts as the bridge connecting your story and your body. We go into how mental health issues show up in the body physically through the vagus nerve system. We also talk about the importance of the vagus nerve as a pathway to pleasure. Stay tuned till the end because that's when we're getting into our random ass questions segment and we talk all about embracing our weirdness because I'm really weird. Hope you know that by now. All right, y'all. Let's do it. Hello, Melanie. I am so excited to have you here. You are such a cool human. Oh, thank you so much. She's like, I've never had someone say that to me. A cool human. <laughs> no, I, I feel most loved when I am seen. And so I appreciate it with people. I know that you really see what I'm doing. So I appreciate that. About oh, you. I see you, girl. I see you. I met you. We met at a conference for, it was a writing retreat. Kind of. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Ish. Thought, thought leader. Women thought starting leader. movements. Yeah. Yes. Women starting movements. And I showed up late and just barged into the room during mid speaking. Someone was talking, sit down next to Melanie and just start being like asking her a ton of questions. So I was like, you're coming on pod. How do you feel about that? I love it. I love it. I will talk to anyone about what I'm doing. I love doing podcasts and you, Perfect. Uh, you struck me as uh, I knew this was going to be a super fun conversation. Oh, it's going to be, you don't even know yet, Melanie. All right. Tell us who you are. I'll say maybe first and foremost, I am a, uh, a high priestess magician of sorts, but I have been a physical therapist in conventional terms for 25 years. And worked as an athletic trainer before that. So I have a lot of experience solving people's problems that could not be solved by other healthcare practitioners, both traditional ones and alternatives. So I ended up very early in my career specializing in people who did not fall into the box, did not respond in a conventional way, did not read the textbook before they got injured. And okay, so no one else could solve. Where have you been my whole life? <laughs> Hello, I needed you. Well, we need medicine needs a lot of this because medicine, especially now, like I was educated on right at the beginning of the evidence-based practice movement, which is great. Like we should all know that our interventions are grounded in science for sure. But what I have noticed is that it has really sucked out all of the creativity and critical thinking by a large number of people that have been educated within that system. And if you do not fall into the box, they don't know what to do with you. You're more likely to get referred to psychiatric care than you are to get your actual physical condition evaluated. 
Mm. You know, and not that that's not always an always an inappropriate decision, but you know, when I I see people, or I guess because I evaluate people physically and have my own emotional psychological screening that I've extrapolated all of those physical issues to, I really, I, I see people overwhelmingly that don't have shock absorption physically, you know, and I believe a hundred percent that they're hurting and we don't have medicine is so divided into pieces and we don't have a way to evaluate the whole person, especially on the physical level. What do you mean by shock absorption? So example, by the time somebody shows up in my office with back pain, their biomechanics, their hard evidence-based biomechanics are abnormal upon testing at their big toe, their ankle, their knee, their hip, their spine, their rib cage, their neck and their shoulders. Oh, sorry. And, Is there and... a body part that you're not naming right now? No, no. They're, they have lost... <laughs> Yeah, I am sure that their earlobe shock absorption is gone too. <laughs> so the, 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 so their back is hurting because everything above and below it is not working correct. And it's taking the beating for not having the shock absorption systemically. Ooh, okay. This is interesting. And so that's just the very, that's the very concrete place to start with all of, with all of this. And so like, I know, for example, when somebody's big toe doesn't move right, that they are probably stuck at their upper neck or the base of their skull. Well, like that's on. the Wait, 99%. This is, this is, did I tell you about my fall? No. Are you, I cannot believe you just, my channeling the answers you need. That is absolutely absurd. When I, oh my goodness, I haven't been able to wear real shoes in three weeks because I, I, fell because I'm clumsy. I was sober. It was actually Saturday night and I was walking home from Jewel getting ice cream to have like a really cute date night at home with myself. And I just, I tripped, but the ice cream was safe. And my big toe got really messed up and it's still, it's still trying to kick back in with the shock absorption thing that you're talking about. Okay. That's actually something that I really wanted to get into because that was an actual injury, right? So where does right. the pain start to differentiate with the injury versus like the internal structure of the pain through our body? Does that make sense? Yes. I look at our bodies as like, we're just like big satellite dishes and satellites, you know, like we're just communicating, like we're always giving, you know, sending out information, we're receiving information and our environment in the universe is always communicating with us. And this became really evident to me when, you know, if you work in a clinic for any amount of time, it doesn't take more than a year or two, you'll see some frequent flyers or you'll see people that like they get in a car accident and then they get better and go away. And then like three months later, they're back and they had another car accident. And it's like, well, like, okay, so what is life trying to tell you that you keep getting into car accidents? Like, what's this pattern? Because that you deal with to keep you out of this. You Sorry, know, what's going on I got in a car accident too. <laughs> and then I hurt my neck two years or a year and a half later on a paddle boarding. Experience. Yeah. So I, I could write a book about my feet and my, and my serious series of foot pain and injuries. And it took me you know, even with this, all of this is as my expertise, it took me, you know, what I think was way too long to figure out what my feet were trying to tell me, like, I, you know, and I was doing all the work to try and figure it out, but I was really paying attention. I'm like, why does this, why am I literally like tripping over my life? Right okay. Now? Well, next episode is going to be on foot fetishes. So we can have you back on <laughs> for that. Yeah. Just kidding. Nope. No, no, no. Oh, I you love know, that. So, so I think that there's, you know, so when you haven't, an injury. Like, I mean, sometimes I don't want to minimize it. Sometimes it can just be an injury and that you just deal with it. And that's what it, what it is. But I spent so much time with the people that kept cycling through their injury or re-injuring the same part or coming to see me for the same thing or something similar over and over that I really wanted to know why was this happening? Like, what's mm -hmm. the bigger thing that's going on here? Yep. And medically, we know that stress is 75 to 90% of all disease and dysfunction. Whoa, wait, 
I knew it was up there. That's incredible. And um, it's he- not good way. Absolutely. But we don't talk, in my opinion, very specifically or meaningfully about what stress really is. You know, if you go to the doctor mm-hmm. and they'll tell you that, oh, well, you're stressed and that you need to meditate or exercise. But Did anyone just roll their eyes when she said you need to meditate <laughs> other than me? <laughs> well, and it's not like I, you know, and meditation can be great, but there's a point at which people are stressed that meditation is actually a ridiculous instruction for them because they're not going to be able to get there. They're not in that mindset for it to be useful. Right, right. And if you're injured, exercise can be a ridiculous instruction, or you might not know how to exercise in a way that allows you to do that without perpetuating and prolonging your injury state. Oh, I, Ooh, okay. This is so juicy because now we're getting into like the physical stress and then the emotional stress and how those interact with each other. And I talk a lot about anxiety, my OCD, mental health is, was, and always will be my main motivation in terms of my wellness exploration journey. And what you're saying is so key because never once actually have I had someone sit me down and tell me what stress truly is. So will you do that? <laughs> tell I will me. Do, I will introduce I will I will open those doors. I'll tell you I am very passionate about mental health as well. My evaluation system that I've created, I know exactly when to ask somebody about their mental health and particularly if they're in suicide ideation or side planning mm-hmm. and I know exactly how that shows up in the physical body and I'm really looking for collaborators, you know, to to put my system into somebody's study so that it can, mm-hmm. uh, to collect this data, because I know exactly how our bodies lock down around to the point that it, it, it's a mental health issue. And I treat a lot of anxiety and depression clients in my practice and have over the years. And so I really have some very specific thoughts about how, and uh, knowledge about how that mechanically shows up in the body. We all have a physical expression of our internal narrative. So we all have a physical expression of what's happening inside of us and a physical expression of what's happening outside of us, like a physical expression of our internal narrative and a internal expression of our physical narrative, you know, that we're all and and that mismatch between what's happening inside of us and what's happening outside of us is really the root of any stress. Mm. So are there ever times when you can you see the physical symptoms of someone who's really struggling, who comes in to see you before they even know that they're slipping into that state. And do you want yes, them? Yes, yes, yeah. No, I, uh, I will say that usually if they're, if they haven't slipped into, the, they know something's wrong. And even if they don't exactly have words for it, or it's been the thing that they've been afraid to say, to themselves. And if they don't, if they aren't feeling, if they aren't having suicide ideation or uh, suicide planning kind of thoughts, they'll say, I feel like I'm dying on the inside. I don't know what's happening. Mm. And that that's usually the phrase for like, I don't know what's going, you know, like something's going on and I don't have the, have the words for it. But with this system, I routinely ask people questions that make them burst into tears because I've, because they are so see them. I see exactly what's happening and it hits that spot of what the stress really is. And like, how did you know? My friends call me a professional crymaker <laughs> and it's, I'm so happy. I just met someone who's similar because yeah, yeah. I'll be, okay. Tell me if this has ever happened to you. I'll be at a party or like a get together and I'll meet someone who I've never met before. And we'll just, we'll start engaging in conversation. I'm not working. Like, I'm not like, Hey, I'm going to bring you to the side and coach you. But it just organically happens that they end up just divulging so much and start crying. Oh, this doesn't happen like every freaking day, you guys, but 
it's so interesting. And it sounds like that's something that you have about your energy too. Absolutely. Well, and all of the leading pain science experts get really excited when somebody cries or gets angry when they explain pain to them because they know they're going to get better. The difference between acute subacute pain and chronic pain is that chronic pain gets stuck in our limbic systems, which is where our emotions are processed or is processed. And you cannot logic yourself out of your limbic system. You need a, an emotional key, to unlock it from there. And so when we cry, we're really, that's a huge sign that our, that we have amazing transformation potentials, that that's, you know, that we're healing, that we're letting go of old patterns and old stories and moving our, I would say not just chronic pain, but our chronic beliefs and our chronic habits and things that are not necessarily serving us. Mm. Because it's through, it's like an emotional release. So your, your limbic system is where your emotions are regulated is getting in touch with where that physical pain is. Well, I think it's, I would say that when you cry, I I think, yes, you're feeling it so that you can, you know, to be able to move it, but I, you know, humans are wired for what's familiar, not what's right for them. And what's familiar, you could just think of as a neurological loop. So, you know, if you're just stuck in a neurological loop of pain, and so your world around you reinforces your pain, you need something to break that loop. Now you could be stuck in a neurological loop of poverty consciousness or a neurological loop of, uh, you know, believing that you're not good enough for a neurological, you know, I think there's a lot of neurological loops that we get stuck in that create our realities. The, you know, the science that I'm most familiar with just through my professional education is around regarding that as around pain and how, and, you know, but I think you could take any pain point in our lives and apply that to how this works. I don't think it's particularly limited to physical pain because now I get to work with people that are also trying to improve their performance in life and achieve more. And so, and it's the same, the same techniques work. Yes. Oh, I just realized we haven't even mentioned the Vegas nerd. <laughs> we haven't even mentioned the Vegas. Wait, yet, you yeah. guys, <laughs> this is like the main part. <laughs> okay. That is your specialty. You and the Vegas nerve are one. Yes. So me, yes, me and the Vegas nerve are one. So it's, uh, and you know, we all do what we need most to heal ourselves. And I'm right. You know, fully admit that this is my work is my life is about figuring out my own Vegas nerve and healing my own voice. But I think we had a, this was a great lead up. So we, we really set a beautiful foundation I just, for I like, like, can't believe, like, I literally, <laughs> like when I first met her, she talked about the Vegas nerve. And if you don't know what that is, don't worry. She's going to explain it to us way better than I could. Um, And (laughs) all right. I was also just going to say everything stems from that, which is funny because like your brain stem. Um, You want to give us a little explanation on what the hell it is? Absolutely. So my clinical expertise is in treating the vagus nerve as a pinched nerve in the body. So we know that stress and trauma always affect the voice and the breath and your vocal cords and your diaphragm in the, the muscle we breathe with are horizontally oriented in the body. And we experience stress and trauma through that, you know, like we gasp, you know, we yell, we can't yell. Um, you know, we use it in our language that it took my breath away. Uh, so there's, so we know that stress and trauma always affect the voice and the breath. And we know that stress trauma always affect the horizontal plane in the body. And that mean, so that means, so like, because your vocal cords and your diaphragm and say, for example, your pelvic floor also are horizontally oriented in the body. Those are the structures that are going to respond, have the biggest responses to stress, Mm, which is where the vagus nerve comes in, which is where the vagus nerve comes in. And so your vagus nerve goes all the way from the brainstem down to your pelvis in women. It innervates the cervix in all of us. It innervates our vocal cords, our hearts, and our digestive systems. 
you cannot absorb vitamin B12 without your vagus nerve. It mediates sweating. It mediates inflammation. It uses the same neurotransmitter that your muscles do, which is why as a, uh, as a physical therapist, I really loved treating the vagus nerve in the body as a pinch nerve because I got better strength, better muscle function, better movement out of patients after addressing it. And so these horizontal structures compress the things that run vertically through them mm. when they're dysfunctional. And so I contextualize a lot of this around the vagus nerve, but certainly when you get vagus nerve decompression, you're also getting arterial decompression and venous decompression and lymphatic decompression. And you're getting, I would say, uh, this is very consistent. My, my system is very consistent with the Chinese medicine concept of chi and allowing chi to move through the body mm. or allowing energy to move up your chakras. That if you're compressed at these horizontal thresholds, you can't allow energy to move up and down through your system. For visual learners who sure. like me are trying to visualize what the hell this vagus nerve looks like inside your body. It How looks like you- an ups. Yeah. Okay. So it looks like if you're going to imagine, it looks like an upside down tree where it starts in your brainstem and that might be the root. If you want to think of that as like yeah. the absolute root of it. And then it branches out a little bit to innervate your vocal cords and branches out a little bit more to innervate your heart and branches out a lot more to innervate your digestive system. Got it. So it's like this one sort of line that's going throughout and then branches out into your organs. It branches out into many things. It's in almost all of your organs. It sends uh, lots of information to your brain about what's going on. So it basically runs the show. It runs the show. And actually it's the biggest part of your parasympathetic nervous system, which is what counters our fight and flight responses. Our fight and flight responses are our sympathetic nervous system. And your parasympathetic nervous system is what feels good, what keeps you calm, what gives you grace under pressure, even sexual arousal. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah. One of the happy side effects of my work is uh, people often tell me is that they have more pleasurable sex or better sex. Of course, that's what I get excited. (laughs) Oh, oh my gosh. Better (laughs) orgasms. What? Yeah. more. Oh, we are getting back to that in a bit, but all right, keep going with your little, your explanation. So, yeah. So the vagus nerve does lots, does lots and lots of things, you know, and if you want to think of these opening, like if you were going to think of like a vinyl record, you know, and vinyl records all have a hole in the middle of them, you know, and that the nerve, if you would imagine like that, you had a series of vinyl records in your body and that the nerve goes down through these openings in those Final records, though theoretically, though really our horizontal structures in our body have more than one opening through them, where yes. you have different, you know, many things that need to go vertically through. But that's, but that those openings can uh, are very often through muscle tissue, you know, or, or tissue that has contractile properties associated with it. And so those vertical structures can get compressed mechanically. That helps so much. Thank you. And I hope if you're (laughs) walking or just on your couch or whatever you're doing, that that helps visualize if you're a visual learner. Okay. So we know now what uh, a general sense of what the vagus nerve is. How does that play into this concept of the definition of stress? When our stories are stress and trauma, our vagus nerve function gets dialed down. And when our stories or when our, our focus is more focus, uh, feeling good, more pleasure oriented, more meditative, then our vagus nerves get dialed up. Fight and flight systems are very valuable, but the saber tooth tiger is not always chasing you. And a lot of people are stuck in that moment. So when that mm-hmm. increases, your parasympathetic nervous system, which your rest and digest and the basically de-stress is activated more. It, it, yes. It's more, it's more accessible. You have more balance within that, you know, that it's Got not it. like the, the fight and flight is, is 
getting all the attention and your parasympathetic, you know, all your calm and feel systems aren't getting any feedback or having any voice in your body. So what I hear you're getting at is that it all starts with the thoughts and stories that you're creating for yourself. Yes. That's a huge, huge part of it because we are human nature is to turn anything into a story and, or, or anything and everything into, into a story and stories, uh, you know, how you are the lens through which we perceive what happens to us. And when you're in a state of like life is happening to you versus life is happening for you, mm. for example, that, that it like really changes how you move through the stress. And a lot of us have, you know, I mean, people have really, you know, life can be hard. I'm not, I don't want to minimize that. It can be really hard and really terrible at times. The right now I'm writing my book and I'm telling my story through and how I came to this work through the lens of the myth of Isis and Osiris. And I'll say, go on story puts us on the super highway neurologically in our brain. Story is really the fastest way to transformation. When you get somebody unstuck from their story, like miracles happen. Yeah. It like opens the flow of everything that was blocked. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it's not that you don't also sometimes need just the physical treatment too, because we have tissue memory and things that, you know, even sometimes when you get, mostly unstuck from your story, your body still remembers at some level and you can need some help clearing the, that, those pieces out. But in the myth of Isis, I'll give you the really short version of the myth of Isis and Osiris. So it's an Egyptian myth and it was the way they communicated science. It really tells the story of the earth's processional cycle. So the numbers in the myth are numbers that are in the earth's processional cycle. All right. I'm going to admit, I don't know what you're talking about when you say processional cycle. cycle. So that's how the earth rotates and tilts over time. Like, well, like how it angles towards Ah. the pole stars and how the stars rotate, you know, change the seasons. I only asked that for the things like that. (laughs) Well, and so the, so in the midst of my own midlife crisis, or I'll say like, uh, spiritual awakening, which was really, you know, I mean, I will tell you, it was not easy in the moment, but it was a huge gift because it opened up amazing, uh, awareness and possibilities for me. So, all right, I'm going to tell the story first and then I'll tell you how it Yeah. I want to hear it. Vegas nerve. I want to hear it. <laughs> so, story time, guys. In the myth of Isis and Osiris, Osiris was the king of Egypt and his brother Set was jealous and angry and wanted to be king. And so Set tricked Osiris into laying down in a bejeweled coffin had his soldiers shut the lid, nail it, and carry him to the Nile River and send him downstream to his death. Holy shit. Osiris's wife, Isis, found out about that, and she found his body, brought him to a cave, and breathed new life back into him. Set found out about this and was furious, so he went and found Osiris and chopped his body into pieces and scattered the pieces down the Nile River. This is disturbing, but get, it's I'm, very I'm disturbing. intrigued. I'm intrigued though. <laughs> this is a true crime podcast. <laughs> true crime, right? Exactly. Isis went and found all of the pieces. Uh, in most of the renditions, she found everything except for his phallus. And she, for that, she made a new one. And she oh, brought yeah, him back. Totally. Yeah, of just, course, you know, you just make one out of the mud from the Nile yeah. River. And she brought him back to life long enough to conceive their divine child, Horus. And then Osiris went on to be the underworld, which for the Egyptians was where all life came from and all treasures were found. They didn't have a demonic oh. or always have a demonic view of the underworld. So that, you was, know, as, that was like an honor. It was an honor. Like the harvest came from the underworld, gems, you know, diamonds, things like that came from the underworld. So it had a very different meaning for them. And if you imagine being in that story and not being one of the conspirators against Osiris being king, everybody probably thought Osiris's destiny was to be the king of Egypt, but his true destiny was to be the king of the underworld. And he literally had to come apart to come back together in a new way. 
Mm. And that's a very universal story about trauma. Trauma doesn't allow you to be the same person that you used to be. Ooh, that's when you evolve. When you break apart, you're actually transcending into your, okay, this, this sounds woo-woo, but like your destiny. Absolutely, absolutely. Life, I mean, and that's really the gift in trauma. You can't be the same person and it does leverage you. It forces you onto your soul's path or onto a different path and purpose than what you were previously on. Mm-hmm. Oh, I just got the chills. My vagus and- nerve is acting up. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so, you know, those vagus nerve, those horizontal structures that act as compression points are like chopping up your vagus nerve into pieces. You know, they're chopping your body into pieces. They're segmenting your body and not allowing you to come together as a whole person. Mm. And sometimes you have to, I don't know that you have to, but sometimes what happens is that we end up getting really severe trauma to be, to really just have to figure out how to show up differently and to, to have to come together in a new way. What do you mean by that? Show up differently. Well, I'll give you my, my personal stories. So, you know, long after I had been, you know, I've been, it's so fun to see so much about the vagus nerve in the media right now, because I've been screaming vagus nerve into the wind for a, a solid yeah, 10 Mally's years. The OG, and, you know, like, like <laughs> come on guys. <laughs> it's the, um, but you know, like around, I, I don't know, like nine or 10 years ago, something like that. The, uh, I had a professional lawsuit against me. My marriage was struggling and my body was falling apart. And I had high blood pressure and foot pain and some shoulder issues. And I was like, what's happening? I'm the stress management expert. What's happening to me? <laughs> you know, yes. Life is yes. this hard. And I took a pause. I took some time to, uh, to just scale by my work a little bit and do some reading and figure out what this was all about. And certainly the lawsuit was a big one to go like, okay, well, shit, if I lose my license, what am I going to do? Like that was your identity at that point. That was my identity. Right. And I have a string of letters after my name, the credentials that I've collected over the years, which in hindsight, I will tell you that I did that because I thought that was my value because my work was my identity and that, you know, and the, I thought those credentials added value to me both personally and professionally. Yep. You know, and that was a program I didn't realize I was running. I feel you there. I just uh, deactivated my CPA. So I'm no longer a licensed CPA. I was like, why am I, why am I paying these crazy annual fees just so I can say that? It's like, it's not even relevant to what I'm doing anymore. Right, right. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I mean, I would say that they show like, I'm a really good test taker. You know, that's what, that's what a lot of credentials show is that you're, you know, is how good of a test taker you are, not necessarily how good you are applying yep. that knowledge. hundred percent. And the, uh, it, and so that's when I discovered the story of Isis and Osiris and that it was the way of, and that mythology in general was a way of communicating scientific information, you know, in a thousand years, I don't think anybody's going to remember all the data collection that everybody's doing right now. They're going to remember stories. Mm. How did you, know, you come that, upon this random, like, were you into mythology? I'm just picturing you. No, I, well, <laughs> broken, like crying in your bed from the lawsuit and marriage stuff. And then you just, what, like, yeah, well, I was reading. Mythological God came down and started talking to you. <laughs> I ended up reading, I, you know, I couldn't tell you what exactly, uh, how exactly I found the book to start with, but I read Graham Hancock's fingerprints of the gods. Mm. And that's the book that really, uh, um, it, it just, it's like, it opened up just an amazing number of divine downloads or it started to really connect dots for me on how, uh, the cosmos is coded into our bodies. So, for so when I read this about the, the the Isis Osiris story was a scientific story, the first thing I did was pull out my anatomy books because a, a very physical therapy 
physical therapist, occupational therapist sort of thought. I love you. Is, <laughs> is to, She's is sitting to have, in bed with her like textbook anatomy book and then her mythology. And my bonbons and my glass of wine. Yeah. <laughs> the, so the, the earth right now is at about a 23 and a half degree tilt. And so my first thought reading all of that was like, oh, what's 23 and a half degrees from the midline of the body? Because that's how physical therapists think, you know, what's like, how far is it from, you know, right and left midline, or that's a, anyway, that's, that's a, a, a therapy, therapy centric concept. And the, in all of my anatomy books, and I've had a chance to look at some real skulls since where the vagus nerve exits the base of the skull is 23 and a half degrees from the center of where the spinal cord exits. No. Yeah. And I know from just my biomechanical knowledge, all sorts of 23 and a half and 47 degree angles in the body, the anterior cruciate ligament sits at an average 47 degree angle of inclination. And how many people have anterior cruciate ligament injuries every year in the sports world? That's a really common injury. And, uh, normal range of motion between your first and second cervical vertebrae is 47 degrees to each side. And there's 47 degrees between the pole stars that are earth orients towards over thousands of years, all these little things started connecting. And one of the things I had done for myself in the midst of, uh, trying to understand what was happening to me was met with, I met with an astrologer. And so I had been studying astrology and to figure out you know, why my life was upside down at that moment. And there's a subset of astrology called medical astrology. And so for example, Aries rules the head Mm. and I have a favorite image from uh, one of my anatomy books that I've had for more than 20 years that it's a compilation of MRI images to show you what the ventricles of your brain look like. And the ventricles make cerebral spinal fluid. And that image looks just like the ram's horns that represent Aries. And so here I am thinking about how mythology is talking about science and not mythology. These aren't stories. These are, these aren't just stories. These aren't made up stories or, or, you know, they're stories about our anatomy and our physiology. And it worked that way, the whole way through the body, the way our hyoid bone sits on top of our larynx and our throat looks just like the symbol for Taurus and Taurus rules the throat. And our aortic arches are the same shape as the symbol for Leo and Leo rules the heart. The crazy part is that the mythology came first and then there were these scientific discoveries. So they didn't know. No, but the thing is, I think they did know. I think we think, you know, like that's Graham Hancock's whole premise is that we think ancient people knew less than we do. And he has really challenged the archaeological and anthropological community with their research to say that's not true. So tying all of this back to the vagus nerve, if we're just going to take like Aries in the head and Taurus in the throat, well, the vagus nerve gets compressed very often at the base of the skull. And so I will often ask people where they're being the hero in someone else's story at the expense of their own, which is a very Aries hero, you know, like start questioning what's happening with the hero. And whose story are you living? Or to take Taurus the throat, which would be desires, and say, like, are you uh, satisfying everybody else's desires at the expense of your own? Or what do you really want? And when your heroics and your desires are at odds with each other, it will show up as a head and neck issue. And sometimes I will say it impairs your vision. And that can literally mean you cannot turn your head to see what's going on. It can also mean that you just can't see what's possible for yourself. So there I start to dig into really what is the stress that's causing the head problem. And I, you know, and it's not that it's not, I mean, there's posture and there's other things, but those are really, to me, those are really secondary problems. When you start to get into some of these other issues, you know, like you really have the, your upper, your neck posture can be a reflection of your foot alignment. I can't even tell you how many neck patients I've fixed by fixing their feet and ankles, <laughs> you know, or their hips. Like your neck problem is not your, like your vision is the tip of the pyramid. It's the last, you know, and so there's other, other things going on below that, that will often really drive it. But, you know, we only, Uh, you know, science doesn't always like, you know, they don't really ask questions. They don't want to know the answers to, 
or they ask the inconvenient questions. None of us like to ask questions we don't, we don't want to know the answers to really. You know, we That's ignore it. That. They don't want to ask. That is, okay, that is an amazing way to phrase our medical system. Yeah. And our medical system, I would say, has a, the biggest Osiris wound of anything we have. It's chopped into so many pieces. Mm. So when's it going to come together? <laughs> Well, this is, I mean, that's a huge part of my mission to have this, the beautiful thing about the vagus nerve and about this languaging story throughout the body and how we carry stress is that it would give every specialty a way to talk to a patient consistently to thread through what's happening mm. with them. So treating to the entire body, treating the whole. whole entire body, the whole person and not having it broken up into pieces. And the best part of it is that it can be applied in businesses and our personal lives and in ways that I suspect that I want people to study. These are the questions I want to ask that, that keep us out of the medical system in the first place. Like if you stop the stress at work or, you know, or change the way we embody stress at work, if I, we have institutions that support us and make us feel safe in other ways and see us as whole beings, then we're just, we're less likely to end up in the doctor's office. But it'll with a, with a physical corporation money, right? With a physical manifestation of all of that stress. One of the most potent examples of this, I think, is really with social justice. So our Libra rules the kidneys, and our kidneys sit in our low backs just like a set of scales. Your what rules the kidneys? Libra, the sign Libra, and Libra's oh, Libra. sign is a set of scales, and your know, scales are also justice. And the, in the United States, the populations with the highest levels of social injustice have the highest levels of kidney disease. Oh. So we embody social injustice at the level of the kidneys. Now, even for non, you know, so African-American and Native Americans have the highest levels of kidney disease in the U.S., but even for other demographics, you know, sometimes the issue is like, where are you not being just to yourself in your own life? You know? And so the, but we really, you know, these are the, like, to me, kidney disease needs to be an important metric for social justice reform. You know, that, that like, we need to look at how kidney disease changes with social justice reform, because that's where we embody it. Melanie for president. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that I want to be president, but I would love, I would absolutely love to consult at that level on public health and like how we solve these problems and like, and what's that compression, you know, so like that compression point, like where you're, you know, where justice and creativity are at odds with each other, I would say, or where justice and practices are at odds with each other would be like, you know, like that's where we need to look at solving that problem. And this works not only through Western astrology stories, this works through the Vedas describe our anatomy in significant detail, a molecule of adenosine triphosphate, ATP, which is the energy source in our cells is the same shape as the Aries constellation. And it has the same archetypal function. Our uh, brainstem and cerebellum look like the Hindu deity Ganesh. And Ganesh is the remover of obstacles. And that's really what our brainstems do. It removes, it gets a gatekeeper for the obstacles. I don't uh, know. Like if you're listening and not freaking out right now. I'm like, <laughs> it's the, and even biblical have... stories, you know, the, the, the biblical story of the temple of the Ark of the Covenant describes cranial anatomy in a lot of detail. And so this isn't just a, an astrological thing, but you know, what I'm really passionate about at the end of the day is creating, or I mean, it's already been created, but it's like bringing to into meaningful form and usable form for our modern culture, this cohesive cosmology that really, you know, where you can start connecting the dots and see how things are related across all dimensions of your life so that you start to live the highest expression of yourself and that we can solve problems. You know, I, I think we, uh, you know, I think we don't repeat history because we forget it. I think we repeat it because we're stuck in it. 
you know. Oh, Ooh. oh my a- God. You're saying so much. <laughs> this is so, this is so good. Yeah. I- and so that history goes with, I'll say that history goes with even uh, repeating injuries. You know, you're just, you're tr- literally, there's a, a South American proverb that says your future is behind you, propelling you forward. And your past is in front of you waiting for you to make peace with it and clear your way. So like when somebody trips coming back from the ice cream store. <laughs> oh, great. I, I might ask them. To use that again. <laughs> I might ask, you know, like, but you know, like that, you know, maybe there's a piece of your past that you're, that you're tripping over. And I would say for me, my, my, I had a lot of plantar fasciitis and Achilles tendonitis. And I, you know, for me, part of it was really stepping into this and really, you know, because I kept myself split between like, oh, here's the clinician with all the credentials and here's the super intuitive, you know, more woo woo side of me. And also taking in information through my feet. We're all really good at taking in information through our heads and hands. You know, I'm very well practiced with my hands. I work with people all over the world. And when I do, I hold my hands up to the screen to feel what's going on in their energy, but I was not taking in information through my feet and we're all kind of like five pointed stars. And so I really had to learn how to get out of my head and more, in, you know, and like more into my feet. Yeah. And, and this, the first thing that comes to my mind when you say that is grounding techniques, like the simplest one of putting your feet flat on the floor and connecting to the earth and like absolutely those vibrations, just feeling the energy that emulates your entire body that goes through your body and then back into the universe. It's, it sounds woo woo, but when you connect with it, it gets real. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, like now I know how my feet say yes and how my feet say no. And because I can be so heady about things and I really enjoy, I enjoy being heady, you know, like and thinking big thoughts and whatnot. But, you know, when I really want to make a decision that is grounded, I will go to my feet and see how they react to the decision. This is a perfect segue because our random ass question segment Yes, it's happening now, not at the beginning of the episode. Whoops. <laughs> it's about making a decision that you probably, I don't know if you would have chosen to do whatever your answer is to this question if you had your feet mechanism back then. All right. Are you ready for it? I'm ready. Are you sure? Are you nervous? Are you going to have to use your feet to decide what your answer is? <laughs> <laughs> I'm we're in, we're in flow. I'm going to go with it, but. Oh, okay. Perfect. Okay. Did you ever do anything when you were younger and kept it a secret from your parents until right now? Yes. The biggest thing, uh, I'll say my dad was a CIA agent. So I, my house was full of lots of secrets. <laughs> I was really wired for that. However, the secret, the biggest secret that I, 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 that if they're listening, they're finding out right now is I'm sending it to them. I I used to uh, leave notes that I was running away from home, but I would hide the notes somewhere where they couldn't in a very difficult to find place. And then I would disappear for a little while. And then I would come back home and grab the note out. (laughs) So I was I don't get what was what was the thought behind that the thought behind it the well I think you know actually I in hindsight my dad spent part of his childhood in an orphanage and he used to try learn not that long ago that he used to run away like they you know a few of them used to try and figure out how to run away from there because it was not a particularly happy place to be and I actually think epigenetically, like, I think I was reenacting his yeah. runaway from the orphanage without really realizing it. The yeah. But if I like you wanting to be found. Yeah, totally. But it's like that, you know, but it's kind of that split. I want to be found. I don't want to be found. You know, I'm going to leave a note, but I'm going to hide it. <laughs> I, you know, I want to be out on my own. I don't want to be like, I don't like having parents. Like I was, I would tell you, I'm just fundamentally like I had really good parents, but I just didn't like, I, I always felt like an adult trapped in a child's body. I just didn't like having parents. That was a limiting factor in my life. I could have run my own life from a very young age, especially as CIA <laughs> agent as your father. Right. And there was a little secret, right. And then, I mean, and I was at that all happened at an age before I knew he was doing that, but it was just, but yeah, I think it was kind of picking up on that you know, kids know that energy of, yeah, 
uh, of, of secrets, but yeah, I spent a lot, I left a lot of, I've run away notes that they I don't know about. <laughs> I wonder how many, are your parents still in that house? They are. They are. I wonder how many they have found throughout the year. Oh, that's or funny. Oh, are yeah. some still there hidden. <laughs> there very well could be some still there. That <laughs> would be amazing. I'd be like, who the hell is running away? <laughs> oh, <right. laughs> oh boy. All right. <laughs> I think I'm ready for my question. I have my feet are on the ground. They're ready to tell feet me are on the ground. <clears throat> All right. If a reality show were based around your life, what would it be called? Well, I can't say Jabra or not Jabra because that's already taken. <laughs> Honestly, it would be, it would be something like, let's get weird with M. Something ridiculous. <laughs> that's just like nothing too serious or nothing. You know what? That's what it would be. It would be, let's get weird with M because my life is weird and I love it. And I think weird is fun. Weird is so fun. And I think that we really, I mean, I like with the intuition stuff, like, I mean, that's part of what I, you know, in these kind of deeper knowings about things that that's, I think a huge part of our intuition is mediated through our vagus nerves and how our vagus nerves function really, the science shows us it really remaps our brain at highest levels. And I treat <laughs> doctors and professionals that are using, uh, like they always get cancer because they know how to use spirit and their intuition when they're doing surgery and their reputation is that they're the best in their fields, but they won't tell any of their colleagues because they are afraid of being ridiculed, but they're making miracles happen every day. And when we embody that, like our weirdness to the fullest, I, I know that that's when miracles happen. That's when I have one story of, I had a client that came to me with an acute onset of hallucinations and was in a terrible place where he couldn't make eye contact with anybody because faces were melting. And he was, I didn't know this at the time, but he was literally planning to kill himself that night if what I did didn't help him. Wow. And I brought all of myself to the table. Like I did all of my vagus nerve decompression stuff. I gave him a good intuitive reading. And at the time I had even been exploring mediumship, which really just to understand it. Cause I had started describing things to people and they would go, Oh, you just described my grandmother when the outfit we buried her in. And I would be like, well, what is happening to me? Like, I really don't <laughs> know like, what's happening. To I me. did. Was I <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, and the, but I brought all of myself to the table that day. And he walked away after 90 minutes with 90% of his hallucinations gone. Wow. And I didn't know I could do that. I didn't, you know, like, I mean, he was in what I would call full vagus nerve lockdown. I could measure it. Like it was super, super, he had minimal rotation at multiple segments all the way up his body. So like, I, you know, like I knew he was locked down. I knew he was feeling terrible. And, but I showed up with, you know, not just with my clinical self, but really with my full humanity. And that's when, you know, it never ceases to amaze me that, you know, th that the miracles really show up when you, when you show up fully and that's what we all need to do. And so much of that we label weirdness. So I would be all, all right, about well, your show. You guys, let's get freaking <laughs> weird is what this all comes down. The episodes should be called like to be weird or not to be weird, but then no yeah. one's going to know what the hell is <laughs> right. about. But, um, I mean, we're weird is really what this moral of the story is right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. It's and in your book, right. Absolutely. Right? <laughs> it is. Absolutely. Well, and to embrace, like we need a language and a safe place to talk about all the weirdness that, you know, that happens to us because it, you know, I mean, even injury patterns and things are weird in their own. <laughs> oh, totally. And if it's happening to you and you think it's weird, chances are it's happening to someone else too. Absolutely. And every time I've told my story of weirdness, the overwhelming response is, oh, me too. Yes, exactly. It's not, not that it's like people that don't, nobody shunned me because of it. No, <laughs> no. And honestly, if someone doesn't jive with my weirdness, I don't, I don't want to be around you anyways. So yeah, it's fine, but it's, yeah, but you get to, um, yeah, I think that that's a, I think you've got a, an empire idea there about let's get weird with them.
Yeah. I mean, we're going to rule the world together. (laughs) Speaking about your life and weirdness and experience, tell us about your book that's coming out. Well, my preliminary title is The Bridge Between Your Story and Your Body. And it's my story. It's told through the lens of the myth of Isis and Osiris. So I retell that story in my own way and how I've really lived this life as, you know, Isis is very much the high priestess, you know, like literally putting back together Osiris, putting back together everybody else and learning that we are really every character in all of those stories, you know, that sometimes we're the one that chops up somebody else. And sometimes we're the, you know, the one that gets chopped apart. And sometimes we're the one that puts everybody back together. And, but I'm going through all of the vagus nerve, there's a chapter on each compression point and really what it impairs, like it, you know, compression point is such a clinical term. I'm working on making the languaging much more accessible. (laughs) We're creating our own dictionary in the process as well. Two book launches in one. Yeah, absolutely. You know, but where you have your vision set and your voice set, you know, that really, you know, because when people talk about mindset, you know, when you've really changed your mindset, you've actually changed your body set. You cannot change your mindset without changing your body. And, and working from the mind down is go, is the meal path. You really have to go from the body up and to be on the super highway to transformation. And I've spent 30 years figuring out how to make change happen faster and more easily for people. Because when you get the, the, the gift for me and really treating so many complicated cases that other people have not been able to solve is that you have to figure out where to start, right? The the game I kind of played with myself is what one, two or three things can I do that make 10, 20 or 30 things better for this person? That's the hardest part of anything. Absolutely, absolutely. But this system, I think really starts to give the clues to it. And the way I evaluate the vagus nerve in the body, really, I think it's, I've really set a foundation off of which we can study how to weight what's happening at different levels of the body mm-hmm. in terms of how meaning, you know, where that stress is really carried. Cause even by the time you break a bone or get cancer in a specific part of your body, for example, that stress could still really be coming from somewhere else. And that's just mm-hmm. the part that's taking the beating, you know, the, for the other parts that aren't working right. And so, you know, and if we want better, you know, if the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result, humans are so inherently insane. Like we've been doing, you know, repeating history over and over so many times. And, you know, we need to be asking better questions Mm -hmm. to get, to get better answers, I believe, and to really ask those deeper questions. So if you could leave everyone with one question that they can ask themselves to open up the next stage for them, Mm. what would that be? Oh, uh, where are you being the hero in someone else's story? That would the, and, and particularly at the expense of your, your own. And I see this pattern all the time. I, and I do, I treat a lot of head diagnoses. I treat a lot of headaches, mental health. Yeah. That uh, one's the issues, neck, neck the head, pain, right? right. Neck and head. And I just think it's so fundamental to, especially because women overwhelmingly are conditioned to be the hero in their children's stories and in their partner's stories at the expense of being the hero in their, in their own story. And so I think that's really just a super, super valuable question to, to dig into. I love that. I love that. Oh, amazing. Okay. And if people want to find out more about you and stalk you for three hours, like I did, (laughs) where, where can they go? You can go to my website, which is melanieweller.com. My social media is all embody your star on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. It's under body. I love that. Oh. You're amazing. Thank you so much for coming. Oh, thank you. Spend the rest of the like looking. There is no work getting done today other than Googling and (laughs) buying books on Amazon about astrology and mythology. It's endlessly fun. And there's so much, there's a, there's a new science waiting for all of us to really, that holds so much more potential for us than the, the way things currently are. Yeah. It's right here. It's waiting for us. Yes. Amazing. Thank you so much again, Melanie. You're awesome. Bye everyone. All right, y'all that's a wrap with today's episode. 
If you loved it, be sure to share this podcast with someone else who is just as nerdy as we are and wants to hear all about the vagus nerve and how it affects our body internally and externally. I'm still geeking out, you guys. And as always, follow, subscribe. And if you had any big realizations or aha moments or questions, reach out to me. DM me at Tabra or Not Podcast. We are on Instagram and I look through all of the messages. I want to hear from you personally. And with that, see you next time.